Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me. I'm Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, and what we saw was a continuation of the trends that we had been seeing. It's the really strong global economy. We see pretty intense supply chain and inflation issues going on within the economy. And then there were also some interesting comments on labor markets right now and how hard it is to find workers and then also that how the nature of work is changing and and what's going on in the psychology of some of some of the the labor market participants today that are are changing some of the ways that we measure labor participation and things like that eric any thoughts on any of that yes a lot to unpack there in in terms of the individual comments especially in the macro section and i think i wanted to start with the three comments about workers i think First, of course, it's tough to find workers. That's the norm that you've read in the past uh, couple of months, that uh, there are lots of job offers, but very few takers. And the fact, the second fact from ZipRecruiter says more people are currently voluntarily quitting jobs. And, and of course, the third statement that says that people now are actually experiencing a fundamental change in what they want from work. And because of that, Employers are being forced to respond with uh, better benefits, flexible schedules, and even more remote work. So I think those uh, three things uh, put together uh, give you a really good picture of how the labor market is progressing. If you're tired of a job, and especially because of the pandemic, and you have a little bit of savings that have come through because of the money that the government has given you through the stimulus, I think people are taking time to really rethink on what they want from work. And because of that, then they're taking more time to get back into the labor force. The good thing is that uh, as research, which I've also been looking at, shows that uh, the people are, on average have left two or three more months in terms of stimulus savings. Any, any thoughts on that yourself? Uh, I think that was what stood out for me. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see people quitting their jobs. It's a sign of the strength of, of labor markets, but it's a supply side challenge from labor in terms of the labor markets of people just kind of wanting to try different things or do different things with their lives. And it's it's not clear how much of that is due to government stimulus, putting more money in people's pockets and the stress of COVID, just having people prioritize different things in their lives than just work. It's just, it's hard to find staffing in general right now. And it's, it's a different world post-COVID. And, you know, so much of the Federal Reserve's policy right now is predicated on we're not at maximum employment because labor force participation is lower than it was. And yes, that may be true, but it's not really clear that additional stimulus is what's going to bring people back in the, into the markets. So what do we learn? I don't know, because at this rate, every most companies are complaining that they can't find the right side, the right amount of people to work with them. And because of that, then they are, they are having to have to experience this wage inflation. And that also is translating to them having to also increase prices for consumers. Uh, and we can see like from one of the companies that let's say customers are a bit more accepting of price increases for now. The company has made two price increases. But a third one may be coming and a fourth one maybe. Uh, I don't see consumers actually being comfortable with such price increases over a long period of time going forward. So I think, I don't know what will happen, but we need to do something to actually get people back in the workforce. Or yeah, I mean, like, I think it's an interesting concept that we all value having people in the workforce. When in fact, I think that like having fewer people in the workforce can be a sign of abundance. 
if, if viewed through a certain lens and in a certain environment, you know, like if we're all very wealthy and trading time from labor towards leisure, one would think that that's a, a good economic trait for a lot of people to the extent that it's driven by a to the extent that it's driven by scarcity or driven by a lack of coordination in the economy, then obviously that's a bad thing. But like maximum employment in and of itself, I don't think is actually what most people want if they step back and, and think about it. I mean, like part of labor force participation, for instance, having a two income household, sure that every household with or otherwise necessarily wants to be in a two income situation or even a one income situation. Like I think, I think there's a lot of people who would much prefer retirement to working. And so if they have the opportunity to do that, I don't understand why we would incentivize an entire, entire society away from people being able to make those choices. Yeah. I think, uh, fundamentally what we all agree on is there's been a fundamental change in, in the way people want to work and people looking for work. So I think then, uh, it would be interesting to see how the rest of the year and maybe early next year develops also. Anything else that stood out for you going, I, I think one of the things that I, you spend a lot of time reading AMC Entertainment as turning uh, <laughs> transcript. And I think it stood out for me that you picked out that AMC is now a crypto company. Uh, would, would you care to explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the entire financial section this week was really about cryptocurrencies and digital currencies. And I mean, AMC is really just embracing its meme stock status and talking about issuing their own crypto and accepting Dogecoin and Shiba Inu currency. And, you know, we'll see how that works out for AMC potentially pretty well. But I think the more interesting quote was actually from Coinbase talking about how cryptocurrency adoption is growing at the same rate as internet adoption 25 to 30 years ago. And I do believe that's the case. It just speaks to the growing power and influence and importance of crypto networks, no matter what you actually think of the intrinsic value of any of these assets, more and more people are, are jumping on board and it could be getting to a critical mass where like these are, are very real. The, these have a very real impact on the financial system going forward. Yeah, I read the Coinbase uh, shareholder letter and they actually had a graph that actually attract uh, both the internet adoption in its early ages and early period. And then there's the, the crypto adoption rate right now. So I think it, uh, it kind of tracks it currently. And maybe that's where the comment comes from. We'll include that in the show, in the, in the transcript of this podcast, but it, it's very interesting that they chose to compare those two. But of course, also the other thing there is a digital currency also experienced significant growth. And I think that was from MasterCard that says central banks, banks, governments are actually more willing to actually uh, deploy digital currency and actually exploring at that various stages of exploring this. So that's very interesting to see. And I think something else that we picked up, maybe that was from Coinbase that uh, regulators are a bit more amenable to listening to any they are out digital and cryptocurrencies currently. So it bodes well for the future. But I think that's also ties in very well with uh, what we've been reading about lately, Web 3.0 and the Metaverse talk about how companies are positioning themselves to take advantage of Web 3. I think that was very interesting also for me to look at this week. Any thoughts on that yourself? Yeah, I think actually the cryptocurrency section, the Web 3.0 section and Disney Plus subscribers that we put in there all kind of dovetail into the same important point, which is that the world is so interconnected now mm -hmm. and lives so much of its life on the internet and the internet 
itself is so highly developed that growth rates can be on orders of magnitude that were unfathomable a few decades ago. So, you know, Disney can launch a product and with Disney's brand reach globally, you know, within the span of two years, 118 million subscribers already signed up for Disney Plus. And it seems we've talked about this in, in previous podcasts, like it seems like for a Disney or Netflix with global interconnectedness, you could be getting to the billions of subscribers numbers in the not too distant future, just because there are that many people connected to this network. And so with web 3.0, again, like the physical layer of the internet has just been laid all over the world. And, you know, you could have very rapid adoption of a new paradigm. Web 3.0 is really the potential dislocation of the web browser at the end of the day as the main way that people interact with the internet. I mean, adoption could happen very, very quickly. It's very interesting, of course, if, if you tie that together with what talks about 17 to 24 year olds who, who have grown up in with the age of Roblox, you know, playing internet games, and now they're the 17 to 24 year olds actually so adopting the, uh, the fastest growing demographic in terms of adopting Roblox. I mean, you associate uh, Roblox a lot with kids, but now grown-ups are actually playing the games and they're very interested in this. It tells you that there's a lot of potential within the metaverse, or as they call it, three, Web 3.0, uh, where Things become more 3D, more interactive, more more spatially aware, or something like that. So it's very it's very interesting to see how all those tie in. Maybe something else that I wanted, if you had maybe rendered it, so you could talk about uh, UID two and uh, the trade desk and the potential it has. You handed that for our, our premium subscribers. It's really just a comment from Trade Desk and a note to me to read more about it. I really don't know that much about UID. But obviously, we've covered a lot about uh, the changes that Apple made to its user identification systems and the ability to track identity on the internet. And it seems that the cookie paradigm is being upended. And so we're having a, a new shift to this UID potentially. I don't know if you have any thoughts around this specifically. Yeah, the trend these days is to let go cookies and, and tracking of people around the internet. People don't want to be tracked, but you need to find a way to make ads more effective. And that way, a few weeks ago, we noted from Apple that the implementation of I, the iOS changes has been well received by customers because customers are increasingly paying attention to their privacy. They really want to protect the data as they are online. So the advertising industry is trying to look for a way in which uh, they can solve customers' advertisements that are relevant, at the same time, not use cookies to track them as even these cookies are being faced out by companies such as Google. And because of that, one of the alternatives that has been uh, put out, one by the trade desk is UID 2.0. The proposition here is that as, as people go around online, they can still be served data, they can still be served ads, but these ads are still served in a way that allows for anonymization of someone's uh, identification online. It also gives the users a greater control and allows for greater transparency such that uh, no single company then is able to control the way someone's information is shared online. So that's the essence of uh, UID 2.0. I think over the next couple of weeks, I'll try and read a bit more about it so we can be able to have a more uh, detailed discussion around this as uh, consumers increasingly pay attention to things like privacy. So maybe I could ask uh, anything else you might have picked up this week? No, I think that's probably a pretty good place to stop today. 
Yeah, maybe something to tell our listeners on Friday this week, we'll be having a, a Twitter space where we will be discussing uh, uh, the key themes that you've seen in, in the earnings calls in Q3. So we look forward to having you on our Twitter space. We'll send, we'll try to send a link of, of the, of the Twitter space. We'll include it in the show notes uh, this week so that you can be able to click and join us on Friday after markets close uh, US time. So I think on that note, we we end this week. Uh, see you on Friday and hopefully we, we can send all your questions that you have about the uh, Q3 and then you can be able to answer them during that time. Thank you and see you next week. I'll see you on Friday. Bye. Thanks everyone. Okay, bye. Thank you.